we are creating a platform for those who are curious, one that tells the story from the artist's perspective. Moments in time captured from the innovators who are reshaping dance, music, theater, and the visual arts. This is the Working Artist Project. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Working Artist Podcast. My name is Gregory Ajid, and we are joined by the great Darian Douglas. What's up, Darian? How you doing? Yeah, man, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm excited about tonight. We got a, a very, very talented guy who happens to be the only repeat guest. So you know he a bad mother. You know, Barry <laughs> Stevenson coming tonight, and we're going to check out a lot of his record, his new record, Iconoclast. And we, and we were just listening to the uh, first track off of his new record. Yeah, there he is right there. What's up, Mr. Hey, Barry? How hey. are you? I'm all right. How are y'all doing? Oh, man, I'm wonderful. Yeah. Do that. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. So we got, I want to um, kind of get right into it, man, because people who, who know, yep. they know, because people who listen to this podcast already know about you because you were one of the first guests on this podcast about almost three years ago. Wow, yeah, you've, you've been working, man. You've been doing your thing. I saw you build it from, like, your bedroom to, like, <laughs> you know, some real lo-fi to look at you now, man. We're talking about your key sweat lighting you, ha- you got happening. <laughs> now, you know what I mean? It's called progress, man. progress. That's progress. a good thing. Come on. It's called Come progress. On, Moving forward, not backwards. That's right. That's right. That's right. So that song we just heard, like Greg said, was called Figgity Figgity Foom Foom. Uh, it's what, called what, Fitz Figgity Foom Foom. Fitz Figgity Foom. I got it written right here. I can't even read. <laughs> <laughs> so what what's what's that one all about, man? Um, that one is almost like a narcissistic song in the sense. Um, my middle name is Fitzgerald, and um, ah, yeah, that's right. My Jamal Watson and Kyle Russell and Calvin Johnson. Uh, when I was touring with Glenn David Andrews, they thought it was funny to call me Fitz, and I was like, yeah, people call me that all the time. So um. <laughs> The, the opening lick of the song is something that um, Jasmine Horn noticed I would always play during sound checks whenever we get to a new base in a new city. I'd always play like, she's like, you always play that. And I thought it was hilarious. I was like, that's true. I always do play that. Because I figure if a bass sounds good when you play that opening line, like, it's fine. It's going to sound good for everything else I need to do. So, yeah, I kind of wrote a tune around that and just, you know, Try to portray my personality as much as possible in it, you know? That's what's up, man. You did it. You did that thing. It's funny that you say that, but because when I was listening to this record for the first time, I was like, dang, this, wow, this is Barry. Like, this this, <laughs> this really encompasses his whole personality, you know, oh, once you man. listen to the record through and through. Because, you know, we play a lot of music together, or we used to before COVID. Yeah, and cool. you can play, you got this thing where I was telling Shadi, I was like, I think Barry is a free jazz musician. <laughs> and not that you can't play in because you can play way in but you also can play way out and then you can do doing both at the same time and i'm not sure anybody else can man you know it's it's funny uh so darian and i have a connection um my bass teacher rodney jordan studied with his drum professor the great alvin field the late great alvin fielder mm. um and he told me Rodney would tell me that every Sunday he would get he would go by Alvin's house in the morning and he would stay there until dinner breakfast lunch and dinner and just and they'd be playing free they'd be playing tunes and he said Alvin Fielder's favorite drummer was Max Roach Mm -hmm. and he told me that Max was actually a free drummer if you ask Max Roach he would say he's a free drummer Mm -hmm. so like I mean with that kind of 
thought in mind like we're all free if you you know mm. you're as free as you want to be right <laughs> nobody mm-hmm. can take your freedom so I, I feel like in a sense we're always free if we're really really playing the music from its like core essence you know like it's a free music the, the music is freedom you know what i mean so no absolutely absolutely that's how i look at it absolutely Man, that's that's kind of crazy that we, man, we again, like I love interviewing all the all the people we've had on the podcast because we start finding all these like connections that go beyond us knowing each other and knowing yeah. our mentors knowing each other and hanging and things <laughs> yep. of that sort. And so I did, yeah. I did not realize you had that connection to Mister Fielder. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. When I met him, I told him I was like, yeah, you know, I studied with Rodney Jordan. And he got like really excited, and you know, I was. <laughs> I, I, it was a deep moment to be able to say hello and take a photo and send it to Rodney and you know yeah, yeah. the music is an interesting thing man the community involved in it is like it's a beautiful thing to be wrapped up in you know absolutely yeah. a lot of beautiful people and personalities too oh yeah a lot <laughs> of ugly ones too oh man so dig it so iconoclast so th- this is what I found out about because I didn't really know the meaning it's a person who attacks cherished beliefs or institutions yeah, and like, uh yeah go ahead no no go ahead go you got it. I, i'm just trying to figure out why did you name it that and and how do you tie that in that meaning into what you're doing with your music yeah so um i guess the the dictionary definition of it is um someone basically who breaks idols in its simplest form is you know mm-hmm. an idol being like kind of like an image like say um it could be like a cross or a swastika like some kind of symbol that represents a thing you know and um the more modern like definition of it is kind of like someone who's a rugged individualist. And I thought about it as like, just kind of going against the grain of what someone who looks like me is supposed to be producing artistically. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? I know the same thing happens to you, Darren, you going through the airport, people are like, so are you you guys like a rap group or are you, are you a basketball team? Like it's never like whenever you tell them like you're jazz musicians or whatever, they're like, wow so it's like and and then even with the notion of like what you know quote unquote jazz is supposed to sound like now like you know people are either playing it sound like this or they're saying they got to do this or if you're swinging it's got to be straight down the middle and sound Mm -hmm. like you know like you know a record you know I was just like what if I just swing like I swing you know Hmm. what if I just play my music the way I hear it you know and I think um that coupled with the way I released the record you know by myself and stuff like that um doing all the publishing doing all that it's not something most people don't aren't doing necessarily but I feel like when you have all these gatekeepers that are kind of saying this is what's hip and this is what the thing is and this is what people are supposed to be doing and you can take it and say you know what no I'm gonna find my fan base I'm gonna get these people I'm gonna get people to listen to my music without the gatekeepers having to be the final say you know what I mean and I think we live in a world where that's possible now so um Mm. just that kind of thinking of just going against the grain of how to you know put out music what you should be putting out um I went into this record without actually rehearsing the band we were what we would do I kind of took this this idea from Jameson when we did his second record um we would rehearse the tune and then play the tune so like we would be we would be fixing stuff, changing stuff on the fly, and then we would record. And then like, um, you know, as opposed to like most people, they would get like all these very through composed charts, and it's like all this stuff is happening, this there, and this is. I kind of was like, you know, there's a one tune, uh, one of my favorite tunes on the record, "Pork Is a Condiment," uh, the sweet smell of freedom. <laughs> the uh, melody just repeats over and over and over and over, and then mm-hmm. the band. Um, Jameson and I kind of improvised with the soloist while another saxophonist is still playing the melody. And it kind of, um, I mean, it's not that no one's doing that. That's not what I'm trying to say. I don't, I'm not saying I'm the only iconoclast there is. I think we're all iconoclast in our own right. It's, it's more of like, Oh snap. Like that's not what they told you to do in school. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, right like just that notion of like you know play the music you don't have to go back to the head (laughs) you know what i mean like you could you could just play this and move on you know absolutely just you know stuff like that 
Okay. You were you were talking about how you all were in the studio, kind of rehearsing the tunes and then working out arrangements and things of that sort while before you actually lay down the the track. Um, uh, Nicholas Payton was also working with y'all uh, producing yeah. the record. Yeah, uh, we recorded it down in New Orleans. I'm sorry, go ahead, Greg. But I was going to ask, you know, there there are a lot of things, and I was wondering, um, maybe like how, like on the Monk tune, um, mm. like Bemsha Swing and things like that, like how how arranged like how like where was that i guess that answers my question a little bit but like where did you guys come in with that arrangement or like were you guys again was that something that happened on the fly was that something nicholas suggested and and how and how did all those arrangements come about and and because you do such a great job of complementing everyone's um, abilities and showcasing what they do well and 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 i was really amazed at that so i was wondering how how involved nicholas was in the arrangements and um how you guys got all that well, it kind of, like, so I was saying, we recorded the record in New Orleans at the Parlor Studio because um, I wanted to, like, hey, I love the sound of that space. And I wanted to, um, the feeling of being in New Orleans is a whole different energy, as both of you know. Um, Greg, you still down there, and Darren haven't lived down there as well. Um, you know, going to New Orleans, and, you know, Jamison and Ricardo were there, and Nick was there, so that saved me some money. I didn't have to fly them up. I just had to come down with, with Patrick. Right. Um, so every, it wasn't like that I didn't have the arrangements in mind when I got there. I had everything fleshed out. It was just little particular details I wanted to, on certain songs. It was a, it was a case-by-case basis, to be honest. Um, like, Fitz Figgity Foom Foom is just a blues. I just told him what I wanted to do that with that in the shape of it. And we, we played uh, jelly, which is the song after that is uh, a boogaloo and they've completely tainted the term boogaloo now, but uh, the boogaloo as we know it. Um, and I had the vision of that song. The only thing that was wrong with that was I was, Nick said the clave was wrong. He's like, I think he's like, I think you have the, cause I was hearing more of like, um, like almost uh a song a la Sidewinder kind of vibe, right? What's that tune? There's another a Nick tune. It kind of reminded me of the groove on, was it Zigaboogaloo or something like that? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. So what he told, Nick was like, he's like, check this out. And he was like, you should play this groove. And it was um, this song that, funny enough, Darian uh, and I used to listen to this record all the time. There's a song called The Popeye. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, the yeah. groove is, you know, a James <laughs> Black groove called his version of the Boogaloo. And it and it and it hooked the whole thing up just like immediately, but then um you know, um songs like the hump some songs play themselves you know what I mean like the arrangements were there and I had like the hits and everything I wanted to do but like a song like um like Bimsha Swing for instance I had the groove and the feeling I wanted on it and I knew what I wanted to play and like I wanted to be kind of like a drone kind of thing like we we're like down there like we're not gonna go through um. Like I wanted to be more like a kind of like a reggaeton kind of like soca feel than like, you know what I mean? And with mm -hmm. that, I wanted to be more reminiscent, like less, not so much harmony moving the whole time. And then I also wanted the um, saxophonists to kind of like play off of each other and play off of the melody as well. And it was decided that we weren't going to go back to the head. So we were just going to play. So that was like one of the arrangements, like it was really all of us playing together yeah. shaping after like that it's kind of like everything I, it was sketches like a lot of sketches like um for the one that nick had a huge hand on it was like he was so great in the studio in the, in the sense of as a producer he was like a fly on the wall and only interjecting when it really was necessary mm -hmm. um evening breezy we were talking about that song earlier that's uh, my jam <laughs> like that whole song like i had the whole thing written out it's just real like everything is written out there's only there's no solo section on it really there's just that um second statement of the bridge where it's kind of like you know a hurricane happens you know is how i described it to the cats man um, why don't we go ahead and play that man that, that even yeah. breezy that's Definitely. that's one of greg's uh is it a baby making song or not no, uh, yeah just... man it's it's just like i mean the the <laughs> The it could be whatever you want, you know. The, 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 the impetus is kind of like you know, it's even and breezy, one in the air, you know. Yeah. And um, I, I love, I love like, like the, the when you have <laughs> like you're going for the trio sound, how like everyone is playing. I mean, essentially playing a line, and how man, it just it, to me, it just sounds like you know three beautiful melodies happening at the same time, and and it's really a gorgeous tune. 
Yeah, man. So it was so Nick, like I said, Nick basically for this one, he we were playing and he goes, Yeah, you guys sound like, you know, studied musicians, like you've studied Ellington and you know, blah blah blah. He's like, But I need you guys to sound like, you know, <laughs> men of your generation. Oh, Yes, and dude. like and it, it this was actually yes, the hard, yeah 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 i'm sorry i probably shouldn't be saying that out loud hey no it's, it's all, all good, good. It's all good. we're here with the working artists we got to talk about the work you did <laughs> hey and so you know that song is actually probably the hardest one to record on the record that has like the most takes of us just getting like like the sound and the energy right and then the parts you know but it's just two statements of the melody with the little and then that's the song um yes. the it's based on september in the rain <laughs> um and i kind of if you if you listen closely there's a motown classic that i kind of stole the baseline I, I created the baseline uh with if you guys can check that out see which one you think it is oh that's right. killer in the in the comments y'all we're gonna play it right now and if you know if you hit that motown baseline you uh barry's gonna buy you dinner from mcdonald's so put it in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs>
Yeah, bro, that is a, a super killing tune that I, I really, really love. Absolutely. Um, and one of, the, one of the things that I think tying back to the question what we were talking about earlier is like, man, I think the way Patrick and Ricardo play, they, they play, they're so in tune with each other and, you know, such amazing musicians themselves that um, sometimes the line between where the arrangement starts and stops and where the improvisation kind of begins and ends becomes blurred to me. And, and I really, I think it's a testament to, you know, the quality of the record and also the quality of the musicianship throughout. Yeah, Greg, I agree with you, man. That was appreciate it, man. Appreciate it. <laughs> it's um, you know, I, 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 something my friend Chris Padishaw told me, uh, the great pianist. He said, if anything, this record is, he's like, will be historic in that it brought together. It's the first meeting of Patrick Bartley and and Ricardo Pascal. Do they not know like, each other? Really? They knew each other, but they had never played <laughs> together. Yeah. They knew each other. Yeah, and and it's funny, like, they're, they're like, just, it's so funny how similar they are and, like, their their approach to, like, not even music. Like, music, they're just very, very sensitive musicians who are, like, very, very uh, in tune with their environment. But personally, these cats are so deep. Like, both of them are super, like, into computers and (laughs) anime and, like, just like it, it was funny like watch it I, I have some footage of them just hanging out during like in between tunes and it's it was one of the most like beautiful sights to see i was like yeah i knew this was gonna be a great hit, man. Like, <laughs> the two of them and i knew the way they would play together was gonna be, i i had this yeah. i had the sound they executed it perfectly you know i remember yeah. when you posted about recording the record i, I saw a facebook post from a couple of years ago and i was like Ricardo, this bad, damn! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, you got you know, got to get the cats who who get what you want without mm-hmm. much like talk about what needs to happen. You know, mm-hmm. man, the impact that that song had on me, or it continuously has on me. Actually, every time I hear it, it's deep, man. Because I never feel, I don't feel like you created that out of a selfish place. You know, like sometimes you go to a show and you hear music that's in 1511 and you know that that's from a selfish place. And it, you know, but the music you just created, you created it from a place of love and integrity. And so I I like to say that there's two types of music. There's music for musicians and then there's music for the people. And I think that that music was for the people. Yeah, man. I mean, I I typically try to play for people because I feel like, the audience is like the fifth person of the band, so to speak, you know, like they're the ones who, when you're, when you're not in a studio, when you're, you know, and you're not in COVID on live streams, you know, the people, <laughs> you, the energy of the crowd, whether it's good or bad, you feed off of it, you know, right, right, and absolutely. you kind of play to that. So I'm always trying to create something. I mean, someone said we don't create people, music for, you know, it to exist in a vac- vacuum. We create music for people to hear it. Now, whether or not you like what they say about it afterwards or how they experience it, that's, you know, the subjective. But um, I think at the core, we all want people to hear our music. You know I'm what sorry. I mean? So Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm chuckling because I'm looking at this comment. <laughs> and I'll, um, the uh, the bass line did not by chance come from the thong song by Cisco. <laughs> it, it, it might have been. <laughs> But I don't think somebody Cisco, wrote I think, that. I don't. I don't think. I don't think Cisco is on Motown though. That's the only thing. See, listen. What? I love it. You I gotta learn it. to listen. No, no, that, that's that's here. That's here. I'm I'm, I'm all for that. Barry with okay. I'm Barry's with for, it. I'm all for that. Yeah. yeah it, so in my basically. Jason Marcellus voice. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny though. Jason would know where that melody came from. It's actually not a bass line. It's um. What is the it? melody for the song uh, "My Guy"? Like, no, it's gonna do the day. Yeah, nice. That song, that's a funny story. That came about. I was playing in Williamsburg at the Williamsburg Hotel with uh, this vocalist, Catherine Wood, mm-hmm. and she called "September in the Rain" in D, and it was with this guitar player. And I was like, you know, different keys make you hear different things on songs, and D is a very open key for the instrument. Like it, you know, you got a lot of open strings, so. I came up with this, I was just hearing that song and that melody in my head. So I came up with this bass line and I was like, oh, snap. So I recorded it and then I wrote a whole song on top of it. Wow. Nice, man. That's yeah, beautiful. Man. So that one, Evening Breezy, One in the Air. Evening Breezy. Ooh. I love it. Love it. Man, listen, I, I'm curious, man, because, you know, 
why even make this music now? Why put this music out now during a pandemic? You know, we all stuck at home. Why now? Why not save it for later when people can have more access to the, to you on the road and stuff like that? Well, you know, as Greg said, I, I recorded the record a couple of years ago and I completely self-financed everything. So uh, just like my last record, it kind of takes a little time for these things to kind of come out. And, um, you know, the pandemic already, I was planning on releasing it earlier in the year and then obviously we're all stuck at home. So I was like, nah, not a good time. And then as it, you know, progressed and, you know, I had the record done and I was like, man, it's, I think, and everything that's going on with George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, you know, mm-hmm. Ahmaud Arbery, like everything that was going on, I was like, dang, like the the music, this music needs to be out now. The people need to hear this now. And, um, you know, we're all that, it's funny, like, although we can't get out and bring the music to people in concerts, people are actually at home with nothing to do so they're actually in a prime position to listen right mm-hmm. now so um it kind of worked out in a weird way okay. but um you know i i feel like when, when we're all out of this i'm still gonna, the music's still going to be vital so absolutely it's just gonna pick up and hopefully people be excited to see it after they've been listening to it for a while you know yeah. the, the music is a statement in and of itself and it's a very powerful one but the before i even heard the music um i i had seen the artwork from the record uh, pop up on Facebook and the artwork is also quite an incredible statement and mm. I, I really um, what, what's the story behind the artwork and how did you um, how did you decide that was what the image you wanted to represent the music well um, so the artwork actually the artist Patrick Dower I mm. kind of just stumbled across him on Instagram's search uh, tab right and I saw this art and I was like oh that's that's dope so I clicked through and I was like oh snap this is a vibe and um, and I reached out to him you know direct message or whatnot and I was like yeah like I you know I'd like to get you to do the artwork for my record and and so what he said was send me a headshot and kind of give me we, we talked we talked about the theme of the record and what the music was about I you know sent him a copy so he can listen to the music Mm-hmm. And he was all, he's like, man, he's like, I'm all about this. Um, he gave me his time frame that he had. And um, he told me to also send him a couple of reference pieces of his that he, that I like that, so he can work from that. And um, he just created this beautiful artwork. And I was like, when I saw it, I was like, whoa. Yeah. I, I felt the same way y'all felt. Like <laughs> most people, they're like, damn, I, same feeling. I was like, dang. Bro, bro. Like, I saw it on it. Facebook and was like, what the? F- I was like, yo, this shit is crazy. Barry just piped the whole world. <laughs> no, like the whole, like I haven't seen no real talk, man. I know we're friends, but this ain't got nothing to do with that. This is just honesty. I haven't seen no artwork on that level from any musician. I can't ever. Like I was just man. like, yo, this is crazy. Yep, I it felt like that Obama times. painting. You know the the cat that did the Obama painting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was. I, it gave me that same vibe, you know. And I saw that. I went to the museum to see that, you know. It was one of them things, man. Where like, you know, we're all we're children of, you know, I, of artwork. My dad was a DJ, so artwork. I have a lot of um, records that he gave me. But I've all, I always used to look through his CD collection and everything, and his tape collection. <laughs> And the, yeah. the one thing you notice is I, I've always noticed great artwork, you know, on records. And one of his favorite bands, two of his favorite bands are Earth, Wind & Fire and Parliament Funkadelic. Absolutely. And those are some of the greatest covers in the game. I mean, bar none. Yeah. Um, and, I've you know, some of my favorite bands like the Mars Volta and, you know, um, the RX Bandits, like their, their album artwork was always really, really captivating. So I wanted to create something where you would have – a, I mean, there's like a marketing thing. You want to create something that people are like, dang, what's that? And they want to look and they want to find out more. Yeah. But I also wanted to capture the ethos of the record in a way to where you kind of visually see what I want you to hear. Mm-hmm. And kind of gives you like a like a, a visual guide, if you will, gotcha. to um, the ethos of the album. But man, yeah, Patrick Dower. Patrick Brooklyn. Dower, y'all go check him out, man. Cause yeah, he, man. He's the thing. <laughs> Funny enough, man, you know he's a drummer. He's a drummer Word. for uh now this is now this is a real funny story. He's a musician? Wow. So there's this record by the uh no no, there's this record uh by the East City 
wait, East Bay Dub All Stars. I want to say, mm-hmm. and it's it's called the record is called Dub Side of the Moon. It's all reggae covers of Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. It's one of the <laughs> greatest records ever. The way they do it is mm-hmm. like what? Peep that record. I used to listen to that record in undergrad my freshman year all the time. Work, work. It turns out this dude was the drummer on that record. Wow. And I was like, get out of here, bro. I was like, I used to listen. He's like, I was like, what was that session like? He's like, to be honest, uh, I don't remember. <laughs> <You> remember. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a reggae band. Yeah, yeah you don't right. remember those kind of sessions. <laughs> you know, Man, I don't listen, remember I'm- listening to it, but, you know, it's, it's college. On on that vibe, I do want to listen, you know, because we're getting close for the time. I do want to listen to another one of your tunes. And it's one of my favorite ones. It's called Jelly. Jelly. Yeah, it's for that jelly, baby. You dig? Yeah. You, you already knew it. <laughs> this song. What's up, bro? It's the Boogaloo. <laughs> Play the song, hey. man.
See, that's what I'm talking about, bro. Keeping it funky. <laughs> Yo, I literally just danced through that whole thing. I don't know about you, Greg. What you was doing? <laughs> I was dancing. It. Yeah, of course I was dancing. <laughs> you can't see me dancing over here. Okay, all right. That man. thing funky, man. I ain't lying. Hey, listen, if y'all listen to this right now on the podcast, on Apple Music or whatever, Facebook, do yourself a favor. Go out to Bandcamp and buy Barry Stevenson's record. Um, you can also check him out on Instagram and Facebook, and he'll he'll give you the handles right about now. Yeah, on uh, Instagram, it's at Pocket B, P-O-C-K-E-T-B, all one word. And on um, Twitter, it's at Barry's Pocket. And uh, yeah, Bandcamp, if you just type in my name, Barry Stevenson, you can get it. Um, the record's also on Apple Music if you don't want to go the extra mile in supporting the artist. For and and why, why is Bandcamp so special to artists? Um, Bandcamp is special because the money goes directly to the artist. It doesn't go through, um, I mean, it goes through PayPal through us. And obviously they take a fee just like a record store would take a fee. But um, you definitely see more of your money than buying it on iTunes, certainly from streaming it on Spotify <laughs> or whatever. But, um, you know, I, I understand some people have a, there's convenience in buying music on Apple Music, so I get it. But you can just, you know, buy it on Bandcamp and then download it on to your phone just like you do everything else. So um, I think so the yeah, best yeah. way is to, yeah, to purchase it and then stream it. So you get in double. That's, that's, that's right. what Lewis <laughs> said to me one day. I was like, yo, Lewis, that's like some real marketing G shit right there, bro. <laughs> Dipping, baby. Yes. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So um, that's this is Barry Stevenson we have today on the Working Artist Project, Gregory G. It's my co-host, Whitney. And uh, we are checking out Barry's record, The Iconoclast. It's a one-of-a-kind record. Everything about this record is amazing. The artwork and the music is simply superb. So do what he just said and dig it on all the platforms simultaneously, especially after you buy it, you know? Yeah, so totally. one. D, do we have, bro, I, do we have some time to listen to this one track, bro? It's like my favorite track on the record. Okay, yeah, let's well, do it, can, let's do it. Why don't we, we can, we can close this out on, on that track. It has a, is that okay with you? Yeah, 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 that's definitely fine. Um, can I ask you a question? I, had, I just like- oh, You can ask me whatever, Greg, what's up, bro? <laughs> what, what I think is, is super interesting too, is like, again, like this is a, a modern record, 2020, um, and, but it still swings. And so I was wondering mm -hmm. if you could talk about um, the, the function of, like why why the record swings and how how you can have a, a a work of art that is modern and still swings and what that means to you in the context of 2020 yeah um well that was kind of one of the things is you know there's always in our music there's a um you know a battle between stuff that swings and stuff that doesn't and it's like you know there's the the argument of oh if it doesn't swing then it's not and i'm not i'm not on that team um but one of the things in moving to New York and growing as an artist I've had to develop, you know, realize is you, you play your strengths, you know what I mean? And swinging hard is something I do. So I, mm -hmm. I wanted to make a record that was swinging hard as fuck, you know, like that's, 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 Absolutely. I was like, that's what people expect. I mean, like people who, who hire me, that's what they hire me for. And that's what I do. Um, and it's one of those things as opposed to trying to chase what other people are doing just doing, you know, doing your vision and, you know, not worrying about what everyone else is doing, but appreciating what everyone's doing and absorbing what you like and taking things here and there, you know, um, but not necessarily feeling the need to have to swing in a way that proves I know how to swing, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, or someone saying, well, this is how you swing. And when you, no, it wasn't that kind of feeling. It was more of a, um, this is a part of the things I, you know, cause we do play other grooves on the record, but it's, um, there's a lot of swing on the record just because I really have fun swinging. And it's, it's, there's such a freedom and an elasticity in that rhythm that, um, you know, you get the same thing from drones, drone music too, you know, and like stuff where you have, um, some kind of ostinato, you know, that kind of stuff that takes you into a different spiritual place, kind of, which is like, um, um even breezy it's just a drone you know um bimsha swing drones you know this song i want to play at the end it's really a, a meditation a drone you know what i mean um yeah and just kind of you know i think 
some some people I feel like who swing and who inspire me on a, on a modern tip like um, Jason Moran and the bandwagon like they're mm-hmm. swinging but they're not like playing overt swing the whole time and like trying to prove they can swing they just swinging their asses off no matter what kind of groove they play you know what I mean yeah um just Absolutely. stuff like that just like having a lot of elasticity and buoyancy in the swing is important so I wanted to capture that on the record well, you did it, man. You did it and more. Appreciate so it, man. Appreciate let's, it. let's let's get into this last tune and maybe we'll come back and have another question or two and then we'll wrap things up. Yeah. definitely dancing during that track <laughs> there's like that moment of um that i just like i just hear like dolphy and and mingus going at it man <laughs> oh man that's one one of my favorite records of all time is um is that mingus all the things Live you could be Antibes. yeah that all... one but um the record um charles mingus presents charles mingus is his Bro. name dolphy danny richmond uh ted Curson. Yeah, that's a, that's a special mm. record, man. Oh, that yeah, the, man. all the things you could be if Sigmund Freud's wife was your mother. The way Dolphy plays on that is just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that yeah, whole record, man. Yeah, bro. Dolphy is that's like one of um Patrick and I's common, you know, bonds is Eric Dolphy. Like, you know, I know he's a very controversial figure in terms of jazz saxophone. I feel like some people either either hate him or they love him. There's no in betweens with Eric Dolphy. <laughs> They're like, oh yeah, I kind of like that. You no, know, it's you, you love it, or you're like, eh, fuck that dude, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, we all here, we all love it, so it don't matter what nobody else thinks. Yeah, that's right. Like that. How about that? We also love that tune. That tune was fucking amazing. I, you know, the first time I heard it, it it just blew me away. I was like, yo, this is crazy. I don't know if pe- regular people can hear what Barry's playing on his bass, but it's insane, oh, <laughs> yo. Thank you, bro. Yeah, dude. Look, man, before we get out of here, I do want to kind of, you know, I like to touch on spirituality a little bit. 
And I'm just curious, like, what role spirituality plays in the creation process of your music, you know? Well, um, for me, music is, is um, I guess the best sum it up, uh, Johnny O'Neill told me that Art Blakey said to him, uh, from the creator to the musician to the people. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, to the creator, the artist, to the people. And so, like, I feel like, you know, music is always like a form of worship, form of praise, getting into like that zone, um, healing through like, whether it's like a harsh sound or a beautiful sound, like kind of always tapping into that spirit of, um, you know, that, that connects us all, which to me, that's, that's the essence of like, God is like this connectivity between all of us. And like this, you know, this oneness that we all have, with the universe and with ourselves and how we kind of tap into that, even if, and I don't mean God isn't like the Christian God. I mean, you can call it Allah, Buddha, whatever your faith is, but I just think that spirit is wrapped into like everything I create. Um, Even if not intentional, it's just like, you know, I'm always so thankful for this gift of music and to be able to do, you know, we take it for granted because we do it all the time. Like, you're like, Oh yeah, write a song. Like, Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, (laughs) we do that. But then when you talk to like um, lay people about it and they're like, man, I, I could never do this or that. And you're like, well, I couldn't do what you're doing. It's like, you know, it's one of those things where you realize that everybody has their own gifts and their own talents and um, just have to be thankful for those things because they could be stripped away from you at any given moment. You know what I mean? So, Oh, absolutely. The COVID has taught us all that in more ways than one. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, I'm, powers I'm, for good. I'm glad you phrased it like that from the creator to the vessel. Because I'm curious, like, if you did meet the creator and you could ask the creator one question, what would it be? Oh, man, I, would, <laughs> I, I wouldn't have the audacity to ask him a question. I'd wow. her, her a question. I would just be It's like, definitely a woman. Yeah, definitely, definitely, 100%. <laughs> That's why I corrected myself, you know? Men don't create, women do. You dig what yeah, I'm saying? Like, absolutely. But, um, you know, it's funny. My, my, my thought process on that was actually, I'm a big Kevin Smith fan. So in high school, like one of my favorite movies in college also was Dogma. And they, you know, at the end of the movie, it turns out like Alanis Morissette is playing God. You're like, what? God is a woman. And it's like, I was like, yeah, that makes sense, though. <laughs> Maybe not Alanis Morissette. I don't think it's right. God is a white woman. <laughs> isn't like, it ironic? You know, I, 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 isn't it ironic? Yes, yes, yes. Um, but, you know, I, I just, I feel like it, it's just... It's one of them things like I, like I think the creator and spirit is like really like all of our um, viewpoints, whether you're for or against, you're agnostic, atheist, whatever. I think just that energy that we all put into that thing, that culmination of it is what I think is, you know, God mm-hmm. or whatnot. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think we can all tap into that spirit how we choose. And, you know, it's, it's a beautiful thing when you can attach that to your music because then I think your music has... Uh, a deeper meaning than just some notes you know what i mean like that's what helps me connect to the audience is like that common thread that we all have whether or not we recognize it you know mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely look man i like to end it right there it's eight o'clock and we ran out of time <laughs> but yes, once indeed. again you guys are listening to the working artist project i'm darian douglas and we had the honor the only repeat guest to have mr barry stevenson with us today and we got Mr. Gregory Ajid over here. What's up? What's up? As the uh, he's our uh, he's on the ones and twos. How about that? Yeah, yes, indeed. <laughs> Yo, Barry, of that. Barry, Barry, thank you so much for first of all coming on the the podcast. Thank you so much for also creating this amazing record. Uh, those of y'all just joining us, check out Barry Stevenson's new record called Iconoclast. Check it out on Bandcamp and all the streaming platforms online. Man, you know, before we go, Barry, can you just give everybody the links and stuff where they can come connect with you one more time, your website and all of that? Yeah, uh, my website is barrystevensonmusic.com. But um, the, the updated stuff is all going to be on Instagram at Pocket B. Uh, Twitter is where you're going to get the, uh, the the screaming in an empty platform kind of vibe. Um, that's at Barry's Pocket. And there's also this new initiative I'm doing. Um, it's a co-op entitled, I mean, called Ampled. And uh, what Ampled is, is like a, it's like a DIY version of Patreon that's more uh, artist friendly and music centric. And uh, basically subscribers can pay as, you know, as little as $3 a month for exclusive content. Like um, I've already released some 
uh, tracks that didn't make the record over there. Also some behind the scenes footage and, you know, demos I'm working on and stuff like that, um, that they only get. So that's ample.com. You type in Barry Stevenson, you'll find me. Man, thank you so much, Barry, for coming on. I'm Darian Douglas. My name is Gregory Ajid. We're the Working Artist Project. And y'all have a wonderful night. Thanks for having me, y'all. Peace. Later. The Oregon College Savings Plan can help you support your kid's future career as a teacher. Uh, airplane driver? Um, no, their career as a hairstyle designer. As a dinosaur doctor? Oh, their future job as a windmill builder. No, an ice cream taster. You know what? We just don't know what they want to be yet. But while they figure it out and dream big, we're here to help you save for what comes next, whatever that may be. Learn more at OregonCollegeSavings.com. Today tastes like game day at home. Like assigned couch seating. Like coffee table dining. And an ice cold Coke to cool down the heat. Today tastes like watching football is supposed to. And it never tasted this good. Coca-Cola. Together tastes better. Football season is here. That means it's time to load up on some delicious ice cold Coke. Pick up Coca-Cola from Fred Meyer today.